Welcome to our Rock City Church podcast. We are so excited to have you join us. Our desire is that you would listen with expectancy for what God wants to do in your life. We pray that you would encounter the mighty love of the Father and that you would be fired up for the more that He has for you. Title of my message today is Living on the Edge. This is the first part of a two-part series. In next week's message, I'm going to be talking about taking risk. I'm going to talk about how God calls us to a life of risk, how God didn't call you to be comfortable. And if you don't get out of your comfort zone, you will die in your safety net. That's next week. Living on the edge is living a life of total dependency and vulnerability. It's when you feel like at any minute I'm going to fall off and I'm not going to make it. It's when you know temptation lies right around the corner, and if you face it, you're afraid that you'll give in to it, and you're pleading with God to keep you out of it. And God says, no, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. In your vulnerability and dependency upon me, you're going to discover how great my grace and my power is, and actually how great my good news of the gospel and the cross is. Living on the edge brings a discovery to your life that causes you to not live the way that the world lives. It causes you to come out from the world. It causes you to come off the plateau of your comfort zone. It causes you to trust God like never before and realize that you could never do this in your own strength anyway. You think you built your business. You think you saved that money. You think you got, you earned that wife or that job or that stuff that you have. You think you were good enough or then you think you're not worthy enough. The problem is living life on the edge is like a double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. On one side, it, have, it can have incredible positive outcomes, and on the other side, it can have terrible consequences for your life. And at any minute, you can make a bad decision or a right decision. One will cut and kill you. One will produce life in you. Does anybody ever feel like that? That every minute of every step and every day, I'm living on a double-edged sword. I can have favorable outcomes or unfavorable consequences. Cuts both ways. It's also the understanding that can hurt both the person that is that you're attacking or the attacker. It's a double-edged sword. So the decisions that I make can either destroy people's lives and in turn destroy my own or bring life to everyone around me and bring life to me at the same time. Sometimes you feel like you're always living on a double-edged sword. You have to understand that the Bible makes a very bold statement. I like to paraphrase it. It's Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is quick, sharp, alive. It's powerful. It's so powerful that it's more powerful than a machine gun or an AK-47 or an AR-15. Now, they didn't have those back then, so the word was a double-edged sword. But you see, the word of God is even more powerful than any earthly weapon because it cuts not only in the natural, but in the spirit. It's natural and spiritual. And so if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you handle a weapon every day of your life. And that weapon can bring life or death. It can produce life or it can produce death. It can heal people or it can kill people. 
this is the life of somebody that lives life on the edge. And it's just the beginning. Living life on the edge means I'm constantly doing things that seem impossible, going places that in the natural could kill me, taking territory that makes no sense, advancing the gospel, preaching to people that would normally hate me, but God gives favor and opens the door, and maybe some do and even persecute or beat me up. This is a life of stepping out and doing things you never thought you could do in the natural. This is the Christian life. The Christian life is not comfort zones. It's risk and living on the edge. And you see, you know you're living on the edge when the world all around you seems to be crashing in sometimes. Or when you feel like you're 100 feet underwater and you can barely catch a breath. That's been a recent season for me. I feel like many times I'm so far underwater and every now and then I'll pop my head up and say hi and otherwise down I go. I've been 100 feet under. I've been 115 feet underwater when I was about 15 years old scuba diving in the Bahamas. You only have a short amount of time before you have to come back up and decompress. And there's all kinds of risks when you're 115 deep, feet deep at 15 years old. And yet in this season of my life with all the responsibility and all the things happening in the world and leading this church together as a family and trying to keep us moving towards the purposes of God, I feel like I'm 100 feet deep. And I'm drowning. That's how I feel. But I've learned not to trust my feelings because God gave me a vision and he said, I want you to look a little closer. And I saw a picture of me 115 feet deep And I had a scuba tank on, and on the side of the scuba tank was written the word grace. Because God always calls you to do the impossible and the things that are against all odds. And many times you'll seem backed up against a wall or cornered in, and there's no way out, but there's always a way out. God allows these situations to happen to put us in a place of total dependency, trust, and vulnerability. In your weakness, his strength is made perfect. I'd, I'm going to quote it a thousand times because nobody likes to feel weak. The world system says be strong and be powerful. Yeah. It's the survival of the fittest. Right. But in the kingdom, it's the survival of the weakest. Yeah. It's completely opposite of the world system. The least is the greatest in the kingdom of God. But none of us wants to be the least. Sometimes you feel like all you can do is barely hang on, but you're still hanging on. When the weight of your responsibilities are a mountainous weight of pressure on the back of your neck, for me, when the weight and the pressure of this life gets so heavy, I feel it right on the back of my neck. And when I get headaches, I get it right there, like tension headaches right in the back of my neck. I know that feeling very well. And it's a fight. You say, well, pastor, you should never have that. Okay. When you live in a world of risk and fighting and stepping out into territories you've never stepped out into, when God expands your capacity and you've lengthened your cords so much wider than you ever thought would happen, and you feel like, man, I can't do this. God says, I've got you right where I want you. And now when those feelings come, you learn to fight the good fight of faith, and you cast it at the cross. Because it'd be easy to just cast it at the cross one time, and then life is a a path of rose petals, but it's not. And many of us have been sold a lie about the gospel. You don't understand the gospel. When you live in condemnation, when you live in shame, 
and victim without trusting. Sometimes you feel that way, but you've got to see what's happening in the spirit. You've got to see how God allows those things to happen to bring you to a place of greater dependency. Because if we had our way, we would live in our American comfort zones and keep it simple in our suburbia life with our nice fences and dogs and animals. And I live in that world, but that world doesn't live in me. My mission and vision's way bigger. And when God calls you out to walk on the water, you're living on the edge. The question is, what are you looking at? You know you're living on the edge when you cry a lot. Oh, but, but we don't want to cry. I told the Lord once, I was sitting with a group of people. I saw something. It moved me. I started to cry. I said, not now, Lord. I don't want to cry in front of these people. I didn't cry for seven years because emotion seemed like weakness. And for many men, emotion is weakness. And that's a dysfunctional, deceptive lie. Jesus wept and we weep with the same burden and the weights and the emotions and not one tear do you shed that God doesn't catch in his bottle, which means that he's got a bottle of every injustice, every failure, every shortcoming, every hurt, every pain. And there's not one thing that happens that he doesn't see. So you've got to see the deception behind the deception, but you also have to see the victory behind the deception. Revelation 5, martyrs are sitting under the throne with the fifth seal saying, when, Lord? I guess it's, take this white robe and wait. I see everything, and my timing is perfect. You think you came into this kingdom life to have a good life, and Jesus said they're going to deliver you up and kill you and persecute you and murder you, and yet none of us understands why. I don't want to be murdered whether I believed in a vaccine or not, but you can kill me for the gospel all day long. You know you're on the edge when you feel incredibly overwhelmed, and oftentimes as if you're losing your mind and you're not going to make it. Sometimes you feel lost and bewildered. And then in these times, other people persecute you and said, you must have done something wrong. Oh, you, where did you sin? You definitely deserve what's happening to you. Maybe those people that you love forsook you. Jesus was forsaken by the people he loved, but not by the Father. But he felt it, didn't he? You say, oh man, this is really raw and real. I mean, we're Christians for goodness sakes, but this is real talk. Because if Jesus felt it, you will. If Jesus was persecuted and people said, look, you're smitten by God, you definitely did something wrong. That's why you're on that cross. How about Job? Jesus felt forsaken, but was he? Oh, Father, why have you forsaken me? But guess what? He didn't really, but he felt it. But he had to feel what forsaken felt like because you're going to feel forsaken. Whew. Man. 
Oh, then come the lies and the fears. And the battle against worry and doubt and disbelief and starting to question everything that you believe because everybody's telling you to question what you believe. And the pressure and the weight is so strong all around you. And then let's throw in some sinus infections, some breathing problems, a little bit of COVID-19, back pain, struggles, a family member died. Let's throw in all of these other things that begin to cave in on top of what's already caving in on top of you. Little lies of the enemy, a little lies of a loved one, a little lies in your conscience, fear, worry, doubt, temptation on every side. And yet God's calling you to walk on water. In fact, those are the times God calls you to walk on water. Maybe, but maybe we forgot that. Maybe that's a nice story about the storm in the boat. But maybe when it's a reality, you'll actually step out of the boat. This is a out of the boat time now. And it's a serious sobering time that we live in. And it's calling for a new breed of people that are aggressive that will live on the edge. Intense criticism comes when you're on the edge. Intense criticism comes when you're on the edge. You got to get some thick skin and decide what do you want to be criticized about. I, I want to be criticized for my boldness and confidence in what I believe the truth is and what Jesus is fighting for. I want to fight for what Jesus is fighting for. Is Jesus fighting for that or is he not? And if he's not, stop fighting for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is both personal and national. This might seem to make sense when you're living, this living on the edge feeling might seem to make sense when you're living a life of sin and compromise, but what about when you're actually doing all you know to do and you've done nothing wrong that you know of? I'm not saying that you're sinless, but what I am saying is you're not intentionally doing your backflip double Olympic dives into the sin pool. I mean, we could talk about living on the edge of destruction because of a lifestyle, that was, but we're not talking about that today. We're talking about faith walkers and trusters that march into a promised land and 10 are against you and only two take a stand. And the other 10 said, we're gonna get crushed like grasshoppers. But the other two says, we may look like a grasshopper, but we're not, we're actually lions and we'll crush them. So much of the time, I feel like I'm walking a tightrope a thousand feet up with no safety net. Anybody? Or rock climbing a thousand foot cliff without a rappel rope. You know, the hardest part about rock climbing or the most dangerous risky part is the descent with hanging onto a rappel rope. Yet at the same time, I know I have a net. I have a net. You have a net. And you have a rope. And it's not going to break. And you can trust it. Maybe it's a rod and a staff in the valley of the shadow of death because everybody in their Christian life will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Everyone. Psalm 23 is a model psalm for the kingdom of God. But what actually happens is his rod and his staff become a balancing pole in the middle of a tightrope walk. One wrong step. One look down. And this is why the Bible teaches us to walk circumspectly in all that we do. 
And even more so when you're a leader that lives in a constant world of risks led by the Spirit. God always calls us to both come out of the darkness and then go back into the darkness with his light. That's my alma mater from Oral Roberts University. Go into all the world where the light of the Lord shines dim and the voice of the Lord is heard small and be my light. So there's always this process of coming out and going back. Always. Look at Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not going to lack for anything. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for his rod and his staff comfort me. And then what comes? What comes after the, the valley of the shadow of death? Green pastures and still waters. But then what comes? Tables at your enemies. Moses called out. Moses called back. From the valley of the shadow of death is the place that you learn to live on the edge, but it's also the place that you learn more than anything to trust his rod and his staff, and the fire burns bright in your life because you're not dependent on anything else but him. And if you are, mark my words, God's going to shrink you down and cut you down and shake you up if you stay this course. Anything that can be shaken will be shaken. If you want to be a nice Christian, he will not let you be a nice Christian. He's not looking for nice Christians. He's looking for Christians full of power, the fruit of the Spirit. God wants you kind. It doesn't mean he wants you mean, but nice is often a front and pretentious or complacent or lukewarm. It's not how God called us to live. Ephesians 5, 13 through 17. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. So if there's anything that's being exposed, it's because the, the Lord is coming closer. Mark Marquez knows this incredibly well. This has been the message of his season. The only reason why anxiety, fear, worry, doubt are coming to the surface is because the Lord is coming closer. All things that are being made manifest are manifested by light. Darkness has no power. It's only the absence of light. Light didn't go away at the night. It just went to the other side of the world where you can't see it. Whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Why? Why does God want us to, to wake up to who we are and what we're called to do? Because he gives us light so that we can navigate. His word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So he gave me light for a purpose. He made me light for a purpose, to be on a hill for all to see, not covered up and hidden in my back room behind a keyboard. See then that you walk circumspectly. This word circumspectly is the Greek word acrobat. You need to walk or live your life like an acrobat. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Are the days evil? Yes or no? Do you know you can actually redeem time? Did you know that? And it says, therefore, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So to understand what the will of the Lord is in evil days is to walk hanging on to the balancing pole. And it's one step at a time, one foot right in front of another. And I'm not looking down and I'm not having a misstep because I'm clinging to the rod and the staff of the Lord. So you must walk circumspectly. 
This is the premise of living on the edge. It, compl- it creates a complete dependency and vulnerability that causes us to lean in like never before. It causes me to lean in. I'm so vulnerable. I'm so desperate. I'm so dependent. I squeeze the pull a little bit tighter. Even when you feel or seem to be uncertain or overwhelmed by what God has called you to do. God will always call you to places that you can feel uncertain or overwhelmed. The key here is to always live sober-minded and to take heed. To live on the edge is to constantly take heed and be diligent with what you see and what is happening around you. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. You think you're, I love this. I think I'm standing. You better pay extra attention. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Then it goes into talking about no temptations come against you that's not common to man. This is in direct context to living on the edge. I'm literally on the lip of a thousand foot cliff and one wrong step is gonna kill me and I always feel like every step I make is a step on the edge. This is the Christian life of trust at all times and going places you never thought you could go and doing things you never thought that you could do and saying to yourself, Lord, I can't do this. He's like, yeah, you can't do it in your own strength. But with my strength, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So to take heed, the, probably the best word that I can say to define the word take heed is not pay attention all the time. It's be discerning. The best word for take heed is discernment. Because that's a spiritual gift, not of your own. Because I can pay attention. But if I'm not paying attention spiritually, and I don't see, because see, God's always working in your life. In fact, he's probably working a thousand times more than most of you see. And if you feel like God's far, he's actually closer than he's ever been before. And I bet you he's right by you doing these supernatural things and leaving his footprints or fingerprints all around you and you don't see it. And God says, if you'll be discerning and open your eyes and start to look, you'll start to see. I'll never leave you. I'll never. I'll never. Oh, but we live in a world of God. Why have you forsaken me? And sometimes you will feel that way. See, you think you're standing or maybe you think you're good, yet that's the most important time to be discerning and have understanding. If you think you're standing or you think you're good, chances are like, likely in your natural strength you're not. And if you're relying on your own goodness or your own standing because of your own merit or something you think you did, you don't get any extra accolades for coming to church or listening to this message today. You only get some wind in your sails and some fire in your heart and a reminder of what this is about, but you must do something with what I'm saying today. This requires an action. This is a call, but there must be a response. Temptation is always creeping and crouching at your door, and the opportunity falls just one misstep away. And I'm never good because of what I've done to stand. You see, we think the fire comes from perfection and worthiness. The temple Pharisee rubbing his chest. Man, I fasted, I give. I... So we, we tend to fall into this prey and this religious trap that all of us, or not all of us, but so many of us were taught in our religious upbringings and in our institutionalized churches that taught you, if you do these things, God will be pleased. 
But what about when the world crashes in around you and it seems like, man, God, what did I do wrong? And you didn't do anything wrong. Because God teaches you not to depend on your own worthiness or your own goodness. The fire actually works through dependency, vulnerability, brokenness, desperation, and weakness. This is the edge. And when you lose your edge, you lose your fire. Let's say that. When I lose my edge, I lose my fire. And when I talk about fire, I'm talking about zeal, passion, hunger, thirst, desire, aggressiveness in the spirit. Saying yes to everything God calls you to. Every patriarch that lived, lived on the edge. Time's not going to permit me even in this series to go through all the patriarchs and all of our forefathers that lived on the edge. All the great mighty men and women that went before us lived on the edge and all of them were on fire. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29. We'll read through this quickly. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea. This is the Israelites. By faith, the Israelites and Moses passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Moses is hemmed up with the Israelites at the Red Sea and the people are crying, weeping, complaining, hating him in the moment, hating God in the moment, and saying, why did you do this to us? Why would you ever take us out just to let us die right here? Take us back, or it's over, we're gonna die. Don't think for a second that that is not a spiritual understanding. Even in the take heed, lest you fall, the context of that scripture is not just temptation. If you read before it, it's look at Israel. Everything that happened to them is an example for you to follow. So you better pay attention because you're about to get hemmed up to the Red Sea. Let me say it again. You are about to get hemmed up at the Red Sea. And there's only one thing that's gonna get you through. It's not necessarily the man Moses, but it was the rod and staff that he held up high. Because the rod and staff represented something that we all must look to and trust in. It's the acts and ways of God and the character and nature of Christ. The staff can be representative of the cross. The staff can be representative of God's promise and provision, even when it seems like all the world's caving in and you're about to die. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Can imagine some people thought this is crazy, six days walking around. The, these walls that are high to the sky with giants on the inside and we're being dead silent. Don't say one word for six days, march around this. Do not talk. And on the seventh day, seven times, I want you to get out that shofar and I want you to release a sound. I want you to blow a trumpet. And the sound and the trumpet is going to release the provision and the presence and the power of God, and the walls will come crumbling down. In the natural, it makes no sense. But you see, God always calls you to do things that don't make sense. But you want everything to make sense because your intellectual mind. That's why your intellect needs to get to the cross, and you stop living in your head. And you stop living in a world of right and wrong and start living in a world of spiritual wind. By faith, the harlot Rahab didn't perish with those who didn't believe when she had re received the spies with peace. Now listen, I want you to get into that city, sneak in, 
and I want you to go to, you're going to wind up going to a prostitute's house, and I want you to stay in the prostitute's house because the prostitute is the one that's going to actually save you and rescue you. Oh, that doesn't make any sense. What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, and women received their dead, raised back to life again. Yeah, that's the good news, but here's maybe the not so good news in the natural. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection tortured and said no we're seeing that in afghanistan today and as much as we must pray and as much as we must believe you also have to understand what's on the other side and it hurts and it's painful and i understand you want to stand up for social justice but you also have to understand when you signed into this kingdom you made a decision to give your life for the king and for his people and that may not cost you now what it's costing them there but the days can come you better get ready Oh, that's not a popular American gospel, but that's the true gospel. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, and yes, and chains of imprisonment. Stoned, sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. Notice that in the middle of that, sawn in two, I was tempted. Cut in half. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, and the world isn't even worthy of them. But the world's saying, look at you, you're in a sheepskin and a goatskin and wandering about, you are crazy. But the world's not even worthy of us. Maybe you should start believing that. The world's not even worthy because you're not of this world. And it seems like people are forgetting. And mark my words, I said this a long time ago. The number one atrocity that you're going to see happen in the days to come, and it's happening now, is the love of many growing cold. We're divided over things we should not be divided about. We're arguing over things we should not be arguing about. We're fighting for things Jesus is not fighting about. Oh, yeah, I'm going to fight for my nation because I believe the nations belong to the Lord, but I'm not fighting the way that the world fights. I'm fighting with spiritual weapons and warfare designed to leave a legacy for the generations to come and fighting for truth in the midst of darkness. And I'm fighting it with the word of God. And it's a double-edged sword. If I fight wrong, the sword I'm using will actually kill me. Say lot. They wandered in the deserts and the mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith. Notice this. They obtained a good testimony even in the midst of all those things through faith. They, they still didn't receive the promise. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. They didn't have Christ. They didn't have the cross. The Messiah had not come. They were looking. They were believing. They were marching even for something so much greater that we would get to see today and still get to see to come. That way we'll all rejoice together in the days to come. I may not get to see that. In fact, chances are likely with the amount of vision inside my head, 
which I'll talk about next week, the amount of risk that we're taking, the, way, the direction we're going, chances are highly likely it will not be completed or done, but our children will do it. When you're on the edge, that's when you keep showing up. That's when you see your scuba tank of grace. That's when you trust the safety net of the rappel rope. That's when you walk straight ahead and cling to the balance pole. And that's when miracles happen. We sang it today. The apostle Paul was on the edge. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power of God may, the excellence of the power may have got, be of God and not of us. See, you've got to see this. I'm a treasure chest in an earthen vessel. I have a source of ways and ideas and discernment and understanding at all times for what lies right in front of us. You do too. Okay, why? Because it's not of you. So God will do everything to show you it's not of you, the power of God's in him, but he does it to bring you to a place to trust in the power of God and not of yourself. We're hard pressed on every side. Anybody? But guess what? You're not gonna be crushed. You're apoplexed, but you're not in despair. You're persecuted, but not forsaken. You're struck down, but you're not destroyed. And here's the real gospel. I'm always caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our own body. For we who live are always delivered, always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life is working in you. What does that mean? It's a continuous pattern. It's the each one teach one. Let me teach you by you seeing it in me. I'm dying, you're living. Now you die so your kids can live. And finally, one of the greatest ways to keep yourself on the edge spiritually is through fasting. So that no matter what edge comes your way in the natural, you'll always have his fire and power for you to overcome. Luke 5, 35 through 39. The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. These are the days, in a sense, he's taken up to heaven, and then they will fast. Fasting is an expectation. It's expected that we will fast. Verse 36, then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece of a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new wineskin will tear. And also, the piece that was taken out from the new one does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst and the wineskins will be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Let's use wine as fire, power, presence, life, has to go into a new vessel. That's the premise of this. And he's using wine as an analogy because wine's gonna ferment. And as it ferments, as you grow, as you discover, as God takes you to the edge and you're more reliable, if you don't stay new and refreshed, you will fall off. If you're not in intimacy in the secret place and spiritually disciplined like fasting, he's using this in the context of fasting. Fasting has a way of bringing you, keeping you on your edge because it breaks the things of this world. Your appetite, your belly that rules us, it's funny, I don't really care about most foods until I start fasting, and then I want all the stuff I never want to eat. I mean, McDonald's sounds good when I start fasting, and I don't like McDonald's, except for their double cheeseburgers, ketchup only. No one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. Here's the problem. 
God wants to take you to the edge, but you want to retreat back. That's what that scripture means. So I drank the old wine. No one that drank the old, this is the problem with so many of us that have come out of institutional backgrounds is we say, I don't like all this wild, crazy, spiritual, new, fasting, aggressive, intense, living on the edge, preaching the gospel. But many of us used to live in comfort zone Christianity. That's why God's called you here. And now God will call you further. The challenge is when you drank the old wine, you said, man, that old wine's better. I don't really want the new. So then we revert instead of convert. You need to get converted. And you know what converts you? Fasting. It makes you new. It transforms you. It breaks the things of this world. It breaks your appetite. You got to get back on your edge. You got to take spiritual risk by forsaking all and doing whatever he tells you no matter what others think or say. Or even when it does or doesn't happen. How about when you did everything right but what you believed for didn't go the way you thought it would and you had a promise from God? Anybody? Oh, we're seeing that right now with, the, with COVID. We're seeing that right now in Afghanistan. Many of, all of us are gonna face this, but we have to learn to trust God no matter what. And no matter what we face, no matter what suffering, you gotta get a narrative and understanding for suffering. You gotta get your edge back. You got to get your edge back. And you know when you don't have your edge. That's why fasting is a lifestyle. Most of the time when I fast, I'm not telling anybody about it. It's not a church. We do a church-wide fast twice a year. And today, or starting tomorrow, we're starting a seven-day fast. I'm going to ask all of you to take it serious. I'm on the edge. Not because I'm living in sin, per se. I'm on the edge because I'm a faith walker. I want my name to be in Hebrews 11. How about you? And that's going to require us all to do things, go places that's not comfortable. This church is not designed to comfortable. You don't come here, in a sense, by accident. You don't stay here by accident. And that's all right. Because you don't get to pick. God picks. He's the leader. He's the director. He's our husband. He's our master. He's our best friend. Now you need to ask yourself, have I lost my edge? And what I can tell you, and I'm, I feel like so many times, I'm like, man, I feel like I've lost my edge or I don't have faith for something or the world's crashing in on my neck. And God says, time for you to become a new wineskin so I can put more inside of you. We say, oh, we want more, we want more, we want more. He says, I can't give you more because if you don't expand and become new, you're gonna get destroyed. And my wine that I give you, you'll waste. Outpourings, presence, conference, worship, tingles, goosebumps, deliverance, all that can be wasted if you don't become new. Do you understand that? I've seen people get incredible deliverance and I've baptized hundreds of people hundreds. Most of them, I do not know where they are. It's not a novel thing. This Wednesday, it's not a novel thing. It's a desperation thing. It's an all-in thing. It's I'm never going back thing. Let's all stand.
Just lift your hands up to the Lord. You got to take heed, beloved. Get your eyes off this world. Take heed. Be discerning. See the way God sees in every situation. Got to get back on the edge, trusting, clinging, gripping. Come back to your first love. That's how you really get to the edge. Back to the first love. Take me back, Lord, to my first love. And this week, as we fast, we're fasting because you were taken from us and we're so desirous for you and we want every bit of you in our lives. We're fasting because we're hungry for you. And if you've lost your hunger and your thirst, get back to being hungry for him and deny yourself, deny your flesh. Deny the things of this world and ask the Lord, Lord, what am I supposed to fast? Ask him right now. I'll speak to you, every one of you. Listen, I'm fasting coffee. If I can fast coffee, you can fast it. Starting tomorrow for a week till next Sunday. And I'm gonna come back here in a week, fast it up. I'll be more on my edge in a week than I am today. So will you. So God, everything that's robbed, stolen, killed, destroyed, all the the affairs of this world, disentangle yourself. Shut off the news, shut off the TV, shut off the Facebook. How about if you fast social media and TV for a week and replace it with the word and prayer? Get hungry. Sit at his feet. Come on, be Mary's. Be a Mary. Make me a Mary, Lord. So God, I bless this church. Lord, as you lead us into, as you lead us out to walk on the water, God, I'm gonna get my eyes on you and off the cares of this world. Come on, you're called to walk on water. You're called to be a broken water pitcher and let your fire shine and the horn sound like Gideon did and his 300. Make us like the 300, Lord. I bless you all. I bless all of you mightily. And I thank you, God, for grace this week. I pray for grace for you this week. Grace to fast. Grace to get aggressive. Grace to pursue. Grace to get back to the edge. Not the edge of sin and temptation, but the edge of trusting and relying. And I bless all of you mightily today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you want to partner with us in what God is doing here at Rock City, you can give by visiting our website at rockcitycorpus.com slash give.